Welcome to Truthology, a journey into the very essence of truth. In this series, we'll explore the fundamental mysteries of life's origin and meaning. How did we get here? Where did we come from? What brought us into existence? What is our relationship to reality as a whole? Sometimes I wonder why anyone talks about anything else. Because this is the most interesting topic in the world. If you're listening to this, and you think that knowing the answers to these questions with certainty, to really have proof is impossible. All I can say is stay tuned. I made this series just for you. So you can see, know, and judge the evidence for yourself. Welcome to Truthology. Hello, and welcome to Truthology. I'm your host, Jeffrey Libby. Today, we're going to be looking at the question of the origin of life from an entirely new angle. In the previous videos, we learned about the clear and irrefutable proof of design in every living cell and all living things. In those videos, however, we were focused on the micro scale of cells and animals. Today, in contrast, we're going to look at the macro scale of the entire universe and see what clues it can give us as to whether we were designed by a grand designer or if there is any other plausible explanation. Some people, you see, still cling to the idea that the universe is either just one big accident or they believe that life was seeded here by space aliens. Now, if that sounds far-fetched to you, let's look at a quote from Oxford University professor and author Richard Dawkins from his interview with Ben Stein in the documentary Expelled. To start, Stein asks, well, how did it, meaning the universe, get created? Dawkins replies, well, um, by a very slow process. Stein then asks, well, how did it start? Dawkins says, nobody knows how it get, got started. We know the kind of event it must have been. We know the sort of event that must have happened for the origin of life. So Stein asks, and what was that? To which Dawkins replies, it was the origin of the first self-replicating molecule. Stein replies, right, and how did that happen? To which Dawkins replies, I've told you, we don't know. Stein says, 
so you have no idea how it started? To which Dawkins admits, no, nor does anyone else. Stein then asks, what do you think is the possibility that intelligent design might turn out to be the answer to some of the issues in genetics or in evolution? Dawkins answers, and here's the important part, well, it could come about in the following way. It could be that at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved by probably some kind of Darwinian means to a very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they seeded onto perhaps this planet. Now that is a possibility and an intriguing possibility." End quote. Here you can see Dawkins, who's one of the most staunch neo-Darwinian atheists, first admitting that he doesn't know how life began, then regurgitating the same arguments we've disproven already about self-replicating cells being the key to first life. Finally, Dawkins acknowledged that there may indeed be a signature of a designer if we, quote, look at the details of biochemistry and microbiology. But if there is a signature, Dawkins adds, it must be from some kind of space aliens within the universe, not a theistic god from outside of our universe. To be clear, this is the key question that we're looking at in this section. If we know from the previous section that there is indeed proof of design in every cell of every living creature, how can we know if that designer is within, like an alien, or outside of, like a theistic god, of the known universe? Luckily, there is a way we can know. It's called the fine-tuning argument, and that's the first thing we're going to discuss in this section. From the evidence of intelligent design in biology that we discussed previously, you can prove design, but you can't prove whether or not that designer was within the cosmos, like for example space aliens, or if the designer is beyond the universe as in God. The fine-tuning of the universe that we're going to explore in this section, on the other hand, provides conclusive evidence of design in the very makeup of the entire universe as a whole. Therefore, logically, that design cannot be explained away by any being within the universe. This proves the theistic design hypothesis because only a God who transcends matter, space, time, and energy could be responsible for the fine-tuning on this universal scale. To discuss the fine-tuning argument, we must know the name Fred Hoyle. Hoyle was an astronomer who started off his career as a staunch atheist. In fact, he once said in Harper's Magazine, and I quote, 
It seems to me that religion is but a desperate attempt to find an escape from the truly dreadful situation in which we find ourselves. Here we are in this wholly fantastic universe with scarcely a clue as to whether our existence has any real significance. No wonder then that many people feel the need for some belief that gives them a sense of security. And no wonder that they become very angry with people like me who say this security is illusory." End quote. Hoyle actually coined the term the Big Bang, which he intended to ridicule the idea that the universe had a beginning. As an alternative to the Big Bang, Hoyle came up with his own alternate theory called the steady state model, which proposed that the universe is eternal. The evidence for a beginning, however, became so strong that even Hoyle himself came to reject his own steady state theory. What really shook Hoyle's atheism, however, was not just the evidence for a beginning, but the evidence of fine-tuning in the universe. Hoyle realized that many forces and laws in the universe are tuned with exacting precision so as to enable the existence of life. Furthermore, there is no reason or necessity why these laws are as they are they very easily could have been otherwise. Yet even the slightest change in any one of the many independent forces or constants of the universe would render life impossible. Hoyle knew that we are carbon-based life forms and therefore production of carbon was crucial to life. Even at that time, in the 1950s, people speculated about silicone-based life. But Hoyle thought this was ridiculous as we only knew of carbon-based life forms. As an astronomer, Hoyle knew that there was far more carbon in the universe than he would have expected given what he knew about the nuclear reactions inside stars which produce it. Hoyle knew that producing carbon requires many factors and forces to be finely tuned, balanced, and coordinated. This wasn't just a theory, mind you. Later, at Caltech, Hoyle's predictions for the excitation energy levels of carbon were confirmed experimentally. This led Hoyle to the realization that this confluence of precise factors needed to create carbon was overwhelming evidence of intelligent design. In summary, the fine-tuning of the gravitational force, the strong nuclear force, and the electromagnetic force in order to make carbon must have been present from the very beginning of the universe. No life could have formed without it. Therefore, 
No intelligent agent within the cosmos, like for example, a space alien, could be responsible for that design. It had to come from an external creator, like a theistic god. This led Hoyle to go from a staunch atheist to acknowledging that there is indeed a designer of the universe. To put it in Hoyle's own words, he said, and I quote, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature." End quote. Hoyle saw that there was no possible way to get around the observable realities of the universe except to acknowledge that they were intelligently designed. And I hope that you, dear viewer, realize that as well. And it turns out it's not just Hoyle, and it's not just the process for making carbon. All the constants or forces of physics are incredibly fine-tuned to almost inconceivably low tolerances. If anyone were off, even by a whisker, it would make all life impossible. There are not just a few, but dozens of these constants that all need to be perfectly tuned in order for the universe to be hospitable to life. To make an analogy of how this works, I remember when I was a teenager, there was no such thing as iPods, cell phones, or MP3s. Instead, back then, the really cool thing was what was called a rack system stereo. A rack system was a big ensemble of equipment that all combined together to make a full stereo. You would have a receiver to play the radio, an amplifier to amplify the sound, a cassette player or a double cassette if you were really cool, and a graphic equalizer, and then a record player on top. The equalizer was a row of vertical dials that you could slide up and down to increase or decrease the bass and treble along the frequency spectrum. In order to get your arms around the fine-tuning of physics, imagine we had a graphic equalizer, and now imagine that each of the independent adjustments or sliders was for a different constant of the universe. Now, imagine that instead of being able to slide the adjustment up or down just a couple of inches, that the equalizer was as big as the entire Milky Way galaxy, and that in order to get life, each slider had to be in the exact correct position, and not even one slider's setting could be off by even an inch or else life would not exist. Could you get all the sliders in the exact right position just by random chance? The, fam the famous Cambridge physicist John Polkingholm, who used a similar example to my graphic equalizer example, 
would say in his British accent, and I quote, I don't say the atheist is stupid. I just say that theism provides a more satisfying explanation, end quote. Even atheist astronomers like George Greenstein have been forced by the extreme and observable degree of fine-tuning to admit, and I quote, As we survey all the evidence, the thought insistently arises that some supernatural agency, or rather agency, must be involved. Is it possible that suddenly, without intending to, we have stumbled upon scientific proof of the existence of a supreme being. Was it God who stepped in and so providentially crafted the cosmos for our benefit?" End quote. What we are seeing in the fine-tuning is an improbable arrangement that has a pattern we recognize or conveys functional information. Any time this happens, as we saw in the previous section, we know intuitively that intelligence was involved. So you might be wondering, how can materialists explain this extremely precise fine-tuning that we see everywhere we look in matter and in the universe? Well, let's talk about their explanation because I think that the sheer ridiculousness of it will reinforce just how strong the evidence for design is. If there was no evidence for design, then materialists wouldn't need to pull at straws looking for any alternate explanation, no matter how far-fetched it may be. The opposite of intelligent, planned, purposeful design is always random chance. So, as always, coincidence, luck, and random chance are again what the materialists point to as the cause for the immensely improbable fine-tuning that we see everywhere around us that we discussed above and even they cannot deny. If it's not design, they say, it's dumb luck. In their view, we're something like the winners of a grand cosmic lottery. And if we're the lucky winners of this cosmic lottery, then there must, conversely, be a multitude of losers as well. To create this immense supply of universes outside of our own, materialists have devised what are called the multiverse and string theories. In these theories, the materialists imagine a sort of universe-creating mechanism. This mechanism, they suppose, can spit out universes constantly, each with different variations of the laws and constants of physics. Imagine in our example of the stereo's graphic equalizer, a multitude of universes which each one has slightly different settings on each slider. Eventually, the materialists presume, with enough time and dumb luck, 
this mysterious and unseen universe generating machine would be bound to eventually spit out one miracle universe that by pure chance is perfectly tuned for life. Well, that one lucky universe, they tell us, is the Goldilocks universe that we find ourselves in. They imagine us as something akin to the lucky winner of a vast and grand cosmic lottery. Clifford Longley summed up the multiverse or many worlds hypothesis when he said, and I quote, there could have been millions and millions of different universes created, each with different dial settings of the fundamental ratios and constants. So many, in fact, that the right set was bound to turn up by sheer chance. We just happen to be the lucky ones." End quote. But how exactly would these universes come about? Well, one physicist called Andre Lind has proposed an idea called inflationary Big Bang cosmology. Let me explain it to you, but before I do, let's talk for a moment again about the word science. Science is a harder word to define conclusively than most people think. To start, let's talk about the difference between empirical science and theoretical science. Empirical science refers to things we can observe experimentally and repeatedly. Theoretical science is of a wholly different sort. Theoretical science is simply theories for which there has been no observable or empirical evidence. Notice when I explain Lin's inflationary cosmology, how I need to constantly use terms like they think, they speculate, they assume, imagine, could, might, possibly, etc. over and over again. This is a hallmark of theoretical or unproven and unobserved science. Anyways, Lin's inflationary cosmology imagines that in the first fraction of a second immediately after the Big Bang, our universe saw an initial rapid expansion which then steadily slowed down. This rapid expansion, they imagine, might have caused a hypothetical, meaning it's never been observed, inflaton field, which the theory holds, could be behind the cosmic inflation in the very first moments of the universe. Proponents of inflationary cosmology guess that inflation could continue indefinitely into the future. They claim that the imagined inflaton field expands faster and farther than the universe. Therefore, as the hypothetical and unobservable inflaton field decays in our universe, they theorize, it could by some unknown process, continually spawn new universes ad infinitum 
as it simultaneously decays and expands into the space outside of our known universe. Thereby, theoretical physicists and cosmologists like Lynn and Alexander Vilenkin reason that since the inflaton field might theoretically generate an endless number of universes, then the conditions in our universe, which appear at first glance so immensely improbable, were bound to come into existence sooner or later. According to them, we just happen to live in the one lucky winner of this vast cosmic lottery. Does that sound like scientific fact to you? Does that sound to you like a plausible explanation for our universe and all life within it? Wake up, folks. Yet another similar theory has been proposed to explain away the observable fine-tuning of the universe, and that's called string theory. String theory's hypothesis is that matter is at its most fundamental level comprised of tiny energy strings. These strings exist, they say, not only in our three dimensions, but in six or seven other hidden, unseen dimensions as well. These dimensions, some theorists posit, are wound up around each other and yet are unobservable. Therefore, they hypothesize, these unseen dimensions or locations could correspond to alternate universes which might exist outside of our universe with different laws and constants of physics. As per usual, their argument is that there are actually a multitude of universes, which of course we can't see and we have zero direct or observable evidence of, but we just coincidentally happen to be in the one lucky Goldilocks universe where all the parameters by pure chance are exactly right for life to exist. Ask yourself, do these theories realistically account for the fine tuning we see in the universe? Here's a quote from Lee Strobel's A Case for a Creator, which perfectly sums up the multiverse theory. Narrator, as the name suggests, the theory of multiple universes proposes that our universe is not alone. Instead, it is part of a vast ensemble of universes, each with a different set of laws and constants. Robin Collins. If the universe looks like it's fine-tuned for complex life, maybe there's a fine-tuner. Maybe it was fine-tuned for life, and this has certain unsavory theological implications. And so it's not surprising that those committed to a fundamentally materialistic view of reality would try to find an escape hatch and the most popular escape hatch for this theological implication of fine-tuning is the idea of multiple universes. 
Jay Richards says, if there's only one universe, then the conclusion that the universe looks fine-tuned because it is fine-tuned is inescapable. But if our universe is just one of a vast set, then you seem to have more resources to play with. Chance gets a new lease on life. I sometimes try to imagine what physicists have in mind when they postulate this idea of multiple universes. I mean, what would the generator look like that creates them? Maybe it's like a giant monolith that has dozens of different dials, each of which has to be set to the right physical constant." End quote. Then Robin Collins says, if we think of these parameters of, as dials, and each of the dials is different, so if you produce enough universes with enough different dial settings, eventually, just by chance, you might get one right. So you might have to produce a trillion, 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 trillion universes. But eventually, if you have a generator that's just spitting out an enormous number of them, then it gets the right dial setting. And then, by just chance, you'll get the conditions right for life. So it's a huge cosmic lottery. That's the idea. It's an interesting idea. I mean, there's only one problem with it. There's no independent evidence that it's true. Besides, it just really pushes the question back a step because we could still ask who built the generator, end quote. Even on a theoretical level, the equations for string theory haven't so much as all been stated yet, much less solved. So please, understand the fact that these theories are the exact diametrical opposite of empirical science. Empirical science is proven by observable and repeatable experiments. In contrast, these theories are extremely speculative, uncertain, and unobserved. Even theoretical physicist Michio Kaku admits in his textbook on superstring theory that, and I quote, not a shred of experimental evidence has been found to confirm superstrings, end quote. To sum it up, we'll go back to Lee Strobel's interview with Collins. Strobel asks, what's your conclusion then? Collins replies, it's highly unlucky, unlikely that such a universe generating system would have all the right components and ingredients in place by random chance. Just like random chance can't account for how a bread maker produces loaves of edible bread. So if a many universe generating system exists, it would be best explained by design. Colin concludes that those who believe in a creator have nothing to fear from the idea that there may be multiple universes. 
there would still need to be an intelligent designer to make the finely tuned universe generating process work. To modify a phrase from philosopher Fred Dretzky, these are inflationary times and the cost of atheism has just gone up. Ask yourself, is it likely there's a universe generating machine? Is there any evidence of one? Even if a many universe generating system did exist, would that system itself be best explained by design or by random chance? As you can see, even when scientists appeal to the theoretical existence of many universes to avoid the implications of the fine-tuning of our universe, they still can't escape design. Theists have nothing to fear from the idea that there may be multiple universes. There is not a shred of evidence, much less proof, of the idea. Furthermore, even if it were true, you'd still need an intelligent designer to make the universe generator. In conclusion, theories like the bubble universe, string theory, and inflationary cosmology models of people like Andre Lin and Alexander Vilenkin fail to generate the infinite number of universes required to realistically generate the fine-tuning necessary for life in our universe. Finally, even if one of these models did prove to be a reality, which they haven't, there's no reason to believe that the new universes it created would each have slightly different physical constants, as opposed to each one being made uniformly and exactly the same by a process governed by static and unchanging physical laws. For example, if you found a rubber tire making machine, would you expect every tire it spit out to be just slightly different? Or do you think that each tire would be exactly the same? So then, if such a universe generating machine existed, why would it be any different? Bruce Gordon, the physicist and philosopher, likens accepting the multiverse to believing six impossible things before breakfast, a la Alice in Wonderland. Gordon's referring, to be clear, to the fact that in order to accept the multiverse hypothesis, one needs to affirm the existence of numerous, purely hypothetical entities or theoretical postulates, including not only a practically infinite number of other universes besides our own, but also, number one, you have to accept that the inflaton field even exists, although there's no evidence for it. Number two, you have to accept that the process of inflation will continue eternally into the future even though it's never been known to exist or to have started in the first place. Three, you have to accept the existence of strings as the fundamental constituents of material reality, 
even though they're purely theoretical and have never been observed. Four, you have to accept the hypothesis that there are six or seven hidden dimensions of space, even though none of these have ever been seen or observed. Five, you have to accept that all of the different compactifications of these ec extra hidden spatial dimensions correspond to different universes that actually exist, even though no evidence for them has ever been found. And six, you would have to believe that these inflaton fields and the string landscape, even if they did exist, could actually then produce enough different universes to explain away the fine-tuning of the initial conditions, laws, and constants of our universe. As you can see, to explain away the observable, empirically, and scientifically verifiable fine-tuning that we see everywhere around us and throughout the entire universe without a designer requires an incredibly convoluted explanation which weaves together multiple theories, all of which have zero direct or observable evidence to support them. In addition to that, these theories invariably posit finely tuned processes to explain the fine-tuning in our universe. Therefore, even if these theories were true, they'd only push the question of who the fine-tuner is back one level rather than refute the existence of the designer altogether. So when you really think about it, all these theories we've examined in their attempt to explain fine-tuning actually presuppose other fine-tuning. So the first issue is you still need someone to de design the universe generating mechanism. Secondly, as we outlined above from Gordon's six things you need to believe before breakfast, you have to believe in a whole host of things that are purely theoretical and have never been observed or demonstrated. For example, you have to believe in strings, in unseen extra dimensions of space, unseen universes, each with their own unique laws and constants of physics, etc. The foundations of all these hypotheses are pure theoretical postulates for which there is zero direct or observable evidence. In contrast, the evidence which is observable, is repeatable, and is scientifically indisputable is the fine-tuning we see all around us. This fine-tuning cannot be explained away by any entity within the universe because the design is built into the entire universe itself. As you have seen for yourself, there is no way to explain the fine-tuning of the universe except that there was a fine-tuner. All of the opposing theories, multiverse, string, inflation, etc., all have zero empirical or observable evidence to support them. And even if they did exist, they fail to provide a realistic model 
for generating multiple varied universes by chance. So previously, we saw the proof of design in biology, both in terms of cells and animals. And we learned why there's no possible way life could have arisen by chance. Today, we've now seen the direct, observable, and undeniable evidence of design and fine-tuning in the universe in physics, which is built into the very fabric of the universe, which even the most staunch atheists and critics cannot deny. Based on this observable scientific knowledge, you now understand that theism, or the biblical God, is the only worldview that fits the facts in front of us. And all other worldviews run contrary to these facts. Let's take a look. Materialism claims that matter, energy, and random chance are the source from which everything else comes, which we know is demonstrably, observably, and provably false. Then there's pantheism, Hinduism, and the New Age religions. These worldviews see God as impersonal. God, in this worldview, is not a conscious being, but rather a sort of mystical unity that binds all things together. All matter is in God, all God is in matter. This would make God an inseparable part of this universe and everything in it. Therefore, he could not have created or tuned it from outside, making this worldview also demonstrably false. Theism, on the other hand, is the belief that there is a God who is separate from the universe, who intentionally created it from outside. Neither materialism nor pantheism can account for the evidence presented above because they both deny the existence of anything beyond the universe and matter. Clearly, the fine-tuning cries out for intelligence and a cause beyond the universe, a transcendent cause. So when you take all of this evidence together, only theism and deism provide adequate explanations in the form of an entity beyond the universe itself, which brought the universe into existence. George Wald, an evolutionist and Nobel Prize for Medicine winner, said, and I quote, when it comes to the origin of life, there are only two possibilities, creation or spontaneous generation. There is no third way. Spontaneous generation was disproved 100 years ago, but that leads us to only one other conclusion, that of supernatural creation. We cannot accept that on philosophical grounds. Therefore, we choose to believe the impossible, that life arose spontaneously by chance." Quote. 
Wald wrote those words in 1954, but today, most people I speak with still feel the very same way. They believe in evolution not because of any evidence, but simply because they refuse to acknowledge the alternative, God. Dr. J. Richard, co-author of The Privileged Planet, elegantly summed it up when he said, and I quote, Materialism is a philosophy about reality. It's the idea that matter and natural laws are the fundamental reality. So really the only thing that exists is blind matter in motion and everything else is explained in terms of matter." End quote. According to modern neo-Darwinists, such as Oxford's Richard Dawkins, living systems give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. To Dawkins and other contemporary Darwinists, that appearance of design is entirely illusory because, they assert, wholly undirected processes such as natural selection and random mutations can produce the intricate design like structures and living systems. In their view, natural selection can mimic the powers of a designing intelligence without being guided or directed in any way. As we've looked together at the evidence from biology, the fossil record, and the universe at large, we've seen no evidence that life could be produced by random chance. And on the flip side, we've seen countless proofs that it was intelligently designed. These findings were summed up perfectly by Dr. Michael Egnor, professor of neurological surgery at Stony Brook University, when he said, and I quote, the deeper I looked into science, the more I realized what a catastrophe for science, materialism and atheism really is, end quote. Like Egnor, Hoyle, McDowell, and so many others we've discussed, I can attest personally that I didn't come to believe in God because of religious doctrine. Quite the opposite. I came to believe in God because of the overwhelming proof based on observable and empirical scientific evidence, which you too have now seen and understand. There is simply no getting around the fact that we were designed by a creator from outside of this universe, a theistic God. As I say this, I'm reminded of Psalm 14, which says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I hope that verse does not describe you, my dear viewer. So now, at this point in our series, you know that the universe and all life within it were, in point of fact, demonstrably created by an intelligent designer. If you've been paying attention, 
Surely the question you're now asking is who is that designer? Well, in the next section, we're going to shift gears and I am going to make the case based solely on hard evidence and historical facts, which are accepted by all scholars, Christian and non-Christian alike, that Jesus claimed to be and proved to be that creator. If you think that sounds impossible and ridiculous, or that something that happened that long ago can't be proven today, I invite you to join me then so you can see and analyze the evidence for yourself. I'll see you there. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Truthology. Please click like to show me that you enjoyed this video, share it with your friends, and subscribe to the channel so you won't miss any future episodes. Also, please be sure to check out the description below this video to learn how you can get in touch with me, ask me about any subjects you'd like me to cover, join my mailing list, see me at live events, and get involved with the entire Truthology community. Until then, thanks again for watching, and I'll see you next time on Truthology.